whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn, playwright, filmmaker, and professor of communications at American University. In each episode, we invite someone from the theater who you'd see on stage, backstage, or in the house to discuss an original cast album they love. And today, we are joined by playwright Liz Maestri. Hello. Hi, Liz. Playwright. Thank you for having me. That is your only sub, your only heading. Is that bad? Playwright. No, it's just, it's it's unusual for this area. <laughs> and you chose, tell the people what you chose. I chose Les Miserables, but, but the London, London original recording. cast recording. It's very important. So this is good. It's I was different. it is very different. I was, you know, I always knew it was different. Mm-hmm. Um cuz there's like well there's like seven recordings of this show yeah. in English. Like and once yeah. you get out into like all the other languages. It's insane. It's a lot. Um and they're all just a teeny bit different mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in very interesting and exciting ways. So when did you first become exposed to the London cast recording of Lanes? Well, I bought it um it was probably the first CD that I ever, well, I didn't buy it. I asked my mom, buy it for me. But I, it was like when I would just gotten a CD player and I was like, please, can I have this? I got it after I'd seen the show. Oh, okay. I was a huge fan. Um, and uh, so I saw the show, obviously not in London. I right. saw the show in New York um, when I was like 13. Oh, okay. Which seems to be the age that everyone Yeah, that's when you find it. Yeah. Um, and I was, I really loved it. And it, it was kind of the thing that got me interested in theater. And I've is sort of a I've said this before many times. Shakespeare theater got me into pursuing it as a profession. Mm-hmm. Les Mis got me into it as a fangirl. Where I wow. like I got this CD, listened to it all the time. I memorized it. I memorized of course I wanted to be young Cosette, so I memorized <laughs> Castle on a Cloud and auditioned with it. And she'll sing with it now. I said, Mom, I want to go on an audition. Wow. And I'd never mentioned theater before ever. And she was like, um, okay. So she took me in there and it was, yeah, and I sang. So did you come, you grew up in New York, right, the New York area? I'm originally from there, but but at this time I was in Maryland. Okay. Like I was like a young teen. Okay. And so did you have a lot of exposure theater before Mm-mm. Les Mis? Okay, so Les Not Mis was all. pretty much... Not So why did you all. go see Les Mis? School trip. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's yeah, a great we school were, trip. It was, a, um, it, was, it was awesome. It was um, our band, our school band went to New York to do the Macy's Day Parade. <laughs> so... Um, you were in the band? I was in the marching band. What did you do in the marching band? <clears throat> I'm supposed to be cool. You're this is a no. Okay, no. First of all, first of all, let's just start stipulate from the beginning. None of us is cool now. <laughs> now that we've agreed, we um, all had braces and we were all geeks. Now, what did you do? <laughs> I played clarinet. I That's played the geekiest clarinet. instrument. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's it does not belong in a marching band. It really like who <laughs> would It doesn't belong in a marching band. Really? It's a wind well, flutes instrument. Flutes belong in the marching band. No, they don't, Patrick. Well, the piccolo. The piccolo. 
like the music. That's man the says. worst idea. No. <laughs> no. Uniforms too, with the it's shiny gold braid. It's so on the coat. silly. Okay. Well, no, no wind. In, I'm against it. I'm you're against, against I'm wind. Against so you're an all brass and percussion marching yeah, band. Yeah, mostly percussion. I think that's okay. the best. Anyhow. All right. Anyway, you played I clarinet. I played clarinet for most of my life. So okay. That was the way that you were going to play clarinet in school. Because, oh, right. You know, there's no. There was a jazz band, but <laughs> um, I, I was probably not good enough to get into the jazz band. It was all older people, and they were all guys. Okay. Um, so you were take, in the marching take band. Take with that what you will. Sure. Anyway, so I was uh, in marching band. In Maryland. Yeah. Okay. And, then and we went you to went New York up to, okay. to do the Macy's Day Parade, and they were like, hey, let's go to this Broadway show. And I had heard, I was excited to go, but then they were like, just so you know, it's an operetta, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's all sung. And I was so bummed. I was like, no, no, I'm finally going to get to see a Broadway show and they're going to sing the whole time. Lame. <laughs> um, but then I loved it. Well, obviously. Yeah. Okay. And decided I want to be an actor. I was going to say, <laughs> that's quite a turnaround. That really. So this is sometime in the nineties. Um, this is right? in yeah late nineties, mid mid nineties. Mid nineties. Okay, yeah. so the show is a is a recognized. It was already a recognized thing. Yeah. I knew what it was. Okay. Because, um, when I was still living in New York, it opened, and I I didn't I wasn't hooked into theater obviously, and neither were my parents, but my cousins were, and they were like my cool cousins who I wanted to be like, and they went. And I saw the playbill, and I was like, "This must be cool." Okay. Because it had the cool drawing oh, that logo of a little girl. Is you know, yeah. it's like so dark, and and you're like, it's mysterious, and you're like, "Oh, this is cool." That is great. Okay, so you yeah. saw the show, and then you went. And, so why did you get the London cast recording? Just maybe I just maybe I didn't know that there was there was a difference. Another, I don't know. That's mm-hmm. the one I picked up. They don't look that different. I mean, from the a, artwork, the, is it's the same, the same logo. The, the the London one is. Brownish gold and the broader one, one I is had white. Was gray. Okay. It's like a grayish. It's a grayish color. color. Okay. Um, and yeah, very simple mm-hmm. cover. Um, and it does say like original London cast, but mm-hmm. in very tiny type at the, yeah. kind of the top, so you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've already talked about on this podcast the synopsis and what the show's about and all that. So I'm just going to skip all that because you can go let's, listen to let's, Evans. Let's not talk about yeah, what the show's it's, about. It's, so it's we'll just... kind of terrible. <laughs> it's kind of terrible? <laughs> what I'm really interested in is, so you just recently heard the Broadway recording yeah. for the first time. What did you notice that was different between the two? What stood out to you? The biggest difference, I guess, that stood out is that the orchestration is so different. Yeah. At least in my mind, it, it feels worlds different. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Um, simply because it's, it, I feel like they sort of Broadwayized it. Maybe it's part, maybe part of it is perception because there's this sort of like idealized, you know, it's British, it's somehow a higher right. status. Mm-hmm. It had Royal Shakespeare, you know, you know what I mean? Like it had, it's sort of this, it had this like artistic merit that maybe wasn't earned. Mm-hmm. And then there's this Broadway kind of rendition of it that sounds so Broadway. There's like electric guitar, mm-hmm. very prominent. Lots of synths, <laughs> like two or three synths Lot, in that Well, pit. there's plenty of synths in the synths. Synths. In yes. the London one, but it's a little bit See, more, they're used in a different way. Yeah, I heard, 
I mean, there are. It's no joke that like the first notes in the Broadway recording after the timpani are synthesizers that do. Oh, that. sure. Down, down. Sure. But in the London recording, it's orchestral. I don't know what the instruments are, but it yeah, is orchestral. And yeah. The synths don't really work their way in until a little later. They sort of stave off the synthesizers for a little bit, and. So that's one of the first things I noticed because I love the synths, but that's just because I grew up with a Broadway recording. I love all that. Che- I mean, my wife hates it too. She hates. She loves the tenth anniversary version. She loves the orchestra. I don't. I want synths. I want the simple little stuff because that's that show to me. But the other thing I was shocking to me was I would say, and maybe this is what you're saying. It it it's so much less dramatic than the Broadway version is to me. The Broadway version has a lot of acting in the okay, vocals. Okay, that's what you mean by dramatic. And a lot of yeah. lot of a lot of like capital A acting. And I never thought I'd ever describe something that has Patty Lapone in it as the less dramatic version. Did but she ever do the Broadway? No, she didn't. Oh. She won. She was the only Olivier award this production <laughs> received. Um Ouch. Yeah, it lost. <laughs> so this has got to be just one of those things that sticks in Cole Wilkinson's craw unless he's more well adjusted than I am, which is hopeful. Um they lost Best New Musical to Me and My Girl, uh, which is not a show I'm familiar with. And Ellen Armstrong, who plays Tenardier, and Cole Wilkinson were both up for Best Actor in a Musical. And they both lost to Robert Lindsay for Me and My Girl. Okay. Cut to New York two years later at the Tony Awards. The show's up for a slew of Tonys mm-hmm. and wins many. But Cole Wilkinson and this time Terrence Mann as Javert both mm-hmm. lose Best Actor in a Musical to Robert Lindsay for Me and My Girl. Oh, <laughs> Whoa! I don't know. What? If, and that's just one of those things. I apparently he <laughs> he's really good in Me and My Girl. Um, he is really, and I do really remember good. that show being in like the early '90s when I started doing community theater. That was one of the shows that everybody w- that had just gotten out to the community theater level, and it was kind of all over the place. Like everybody was yeah. doing Me and My Girl, so it was big then. But not a show that I've... It's not... I'm not familiar I'm with not it. I'm not familiar with it at all. I don't know anyone who's because done it Because really. it hasn't been running for, for 10, our entire life. For 10,000-plus performances. That's very true. <laughs> but uh, from that original London cast, only Colm Wilkinson and Francis Ruffell, who played Eponine, transferred. Everybody right. else was, right. was new. But yeah, no, Patti LuPone did not come with it. I just don't feel like it was a great role for her. It's a little like bit... Like, Fontaine is... I don't know if... Eh, I just don't know if it's... A great role for Patti LuPone. I said, she's sung it beautifully. She does, certainly. Of course, as she sings oh, absolutely. everything. But she has so much more energy and drive in, in everything else I've seen her in than that that role needs. The only picture I've seen of Patti LuPone in the original cast is during Lovely Ladies, and she's sitting kind of backwards on a chair looking brassy and like... Right. She's just confident. There's nothing like... To me, Patti LuPone sort of exudes confidence in a really... She does. That Fontaine... She does really doesn't have but she comes off i have to say she come the recording she sounds really great she comes off she doesn't oh i'm you'd not think, saying she doesn't well but you think yeah. and i always think an american actor in a group of british actors is going you're going to be able to pick them out in a heartbeat and you can't i mean you pick her voice out but she doesn't it's not all of a sudden like there's a big you know open vowels and and sort of performance there she's she's really blending pretty nicely at the end of the day she's the one who began it It is true there's a child and the child is my daughter And her father abandoned us leaving us flat 
now she lives with an innkeeper man and his wife, and I pay for the child. What's the matter with that? I don't want to say the role is beneath her, but I just feel like she, she has so much more to offer, and she bears her soul, mm -hmm. but she often does it in really, really out there, like, powerful... Fontaine, she uses a lot of, like... Like, she uses a lot of, like, head voice, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's just not... There's not a, a lot of variety, vocal variety. Yeah, and not a well, no I mean, belt. I mean, there's very little there's belt. There's not a lot of vocal variety in the show. That is very true. I feel like if it, was a, if it was a better part, she's more suited for Madame Thenardier than for Fontaine. If that was a part right. that was like... But a, someone of her caliber is right, not going to Not going to play right, Madame right. Thenardier, no. But, I mean, if you look at the other parts Patty LuPone has played, I mean, Ava Perone, mm -hmm. Mad, uh, Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd, Gypsy, uh, Mama Rose and Gypsy, like those are... There's a through line to those yeah, kind she's of parts. leading lady. Yes. But the key word, leading. Leading, yeah. The, Fontaine is a lady. She is. <laughs> She's a lady. A it's lady. She doesn't have she a good won, time. She was the only one. She won the Olivier Award hey, for Outstanding Performance Patty by an Actress. F and Lapone. I'll tell you. you know? All right, so this show, I mean, if it, it's rare, I think, that you find somebody who has such a black and white moment where there was like, it sounds like there is before Les Mis mm -hmm. and there is after Les Mis yeah. for you. Mm -hmm. So... What was it, do you think, about this show and then by extension this recording that just... Because how long was the lag, would you say, between seeing the show and getting the recording? Oh, the lag was was short. Very short. Okay, so the show was still in your head when you got yeah. the recording. So what was it, what, what, what got you? I guess it's hard to say because I'd never seen... Uh, I had never had a theater experience like that, mm -hmm. so I had nothing to compare it to. Um, but I think, and maybe one of the reasons why the musical is so successful is that it, it was so different from everything else going on, at least the way I, this is just my opinion, but um, it felt so different from everything else that was all being offered at the time. Mm -hmm. There, It's so, it has this, it's tonally so dark. There's something really appealing about the... Um, the feeling of it. And I think it really does appeal. To, it, I don't know. It appealed to me as a young, angsty teenager that mm -hmm. it's just raw kind of like, here are people being emotional mm -hmm. and here are people suffering. And it's sort of like, oh, I just want to, I just want to wallow with these people. I just want to get, you know, it's like they're in a musical, but they're not wearing like big dresses. Like they're wearing, they're like, wearing rags and like they have like you know dirt on their face and it's just so like edgy mm -hmm. i guess edgy is like it felt edgy to me well it doesn't have <laughs> for being a show that is as broadway as we now say yeah it, it is really not hello dolly like it's not everything's gonna be okay right it's unexpected but there is something very appealing about that i think when you're like you say yeah. 13 and artistic and you know, want to be, have emotions. I mean, you just yeah. have feelings that have to go somewhere. And yeah. this can really grab onto that. that. How long was this show sort of like something you were listening to on, on, on the regs? It was really kind of a childhood thing. I think just because I did, I, I lost interest in musical theater. Okay. As I, I went through, Why did... it's weird. It's like, I guess I didn't know this happens to girls, but <laughs> obviously. So I, you know, I went through puberty and my voice changed. Right. Um, and I couldn't sing anymore. And I oh. and I wasn't like, not that I couldn't, I, I just wasn't 
you kind of have to relearn. You have to relearn. I would have had to have taken lessons. Yeah. Whereas when you're a kid, you can a lot of times get away with singing. And then my well, you had a good changed. voice. I mean, it sounds like you had a good voice, and then like so you can get along on that. But once your voice yeah, starts, yeah, like to change, as a kid, you can go in the you know, right? Yeah, and I just kind of lost interest in in that. I I have this like weird obsession with with Broadway though. Like it's a weird secret obsession, and I watch <laughs> I watch like Broadway.com videos all the time, and I'm just so fascinated by it because it's its own art form. It's mm-hmm. its own. Um, and it's so unapologetic about what it is, is what I love it. Like, where there's so much BS with, like, theater, you mm-hmm. know, where it's like, I'm doing high art. No, you're not. You know, like, musicals. <laughs> you're doing it's, cats. It's like, we are he- we're here to make money. Right. We're here to have fun. We're here to, like, exercise, like, our musical talents. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that. I love that about the musical theater kind of community and industry. That it's just like we are here to do this thing, mm-hmm. um, and we're very clear about what that is. And then once you once you had this sort of break, did you continue doing non musical theater, or did you mm-hmm. you did okay? Yep. So you just stopped the musical. Yeah, half. I kept trying to act and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, musicals just uh, kind of disappeared. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of sad. It's funny how that's fast that's a short you transition. Change. I was gonna say, so you're going from 13 mm-hmm. and kind of being, well, deep into Les Mis. Mm-hmm. I was about to say deep into musical theater, but deep into Les Mis, and then yeah. we're up at like 15, 16 here, and oh, you're yeah. just you're over it a over little it. bit. It was because I I got a teacher who was very very serious, and I was uh. like I, and then I went to my phase of like I'm going to be a serious actor. Oh dear. Serious actor. Oh dear. Like and that and it was all about. What like was it all objectives. about? Objectives. And it, like, she, oh, so it was oh, about. She was the real oh, deal. so it was acting class. I mean, acting. this is a re- Oh. This was like. This is Stanislavski and, yes. and all that. Okay. This is, and she was like from like Cafe Sino years. Like, okay. she was like. She was a real deal. She dated John Voight. Yeah, it was really well, weird. Who didn't? She, yeah. Who didn't? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, somehow ended up at my Podunk High School. Oh. So that became. And that that's where theater became. A religion. Okay. That's where it became my religion. That became your thing. Yeah. Okay. Of course, it ended. It ended kind of poorly because I was like, it was you were more like a cult and, oh, wow. than a religion. That's true. Well, it is. It's and I was still like, I will is. sacrifice everything to be an actress, <laughs> and I will suffer to be an actress, and I will be miserable to be an actress. Right. Thankfully, playwright. And then you were like, me. right? No, I won't. I'll be miserable to be a playwright instead. <laughs> Much more fun. Oh God. So I brought up the plot, and you dismissed it quickly, which instantly makes me want to go back to it. What is it about the plot of the show that makes you kind of cast it to one side? I shouldn't be. I didn't dismiss it. What I'm interested in, really, is what <laughs> it what what is it about this show that captured your attention so intensely hmm. but did not expand because I think the usual experience for a lot of people with Les Mis is they get into Les Mis they listen to the cast album and then they get into other shows and Les Mis kind of becomes the origin point mm-hmm. for their musical theater fandom okay you express surprise that I asked you to do this podcast because you don't do musicals as you said yeah and I but you had an answer to this question so what I want to to sort of get at is that what is it about this show specifically that hit the exact right place of 13-year-old Liz Maestri, mm-hmm. but then that other musicals don't necessarily um, 
didn't didn't do the same thing. So when I say you denigrated the plot, you didn't dismiss it, you didn't deride it, but you also said you'd rather not synopsize it. So obviously it wasn't the plot that grabbed your attention. No, and I don't think I could have come out of that theater and told you what it what the plot was. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It's, there are actually, and even now, I don't know if I could tell you what the plot was because there are so many kind of uh, things that don't make sense story wise. Well, it's episodic. In a we, but in a weird way because it's like episodic for half of Act One, and then the second half of Act One and all of Act Two takes place over the course of like two right. days. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, like the first half mm-hmm. of the first act takes place over. I mean, we could many, say many years, fifteen years, Decades, right? You know? And then there's this huge time jump, and then of like ten years maybe, and then the next bit takes place over ostensibly like three or four days. If you right. go from Cosette meeting Marius to the wedding, like it, it it's you know. Sure. <laughs> so what interests me is, you know, so that's not the plot. We'll just it, And while it does have a plot, you know, it, it is kind of like these little characters who keep running into each other. That's sort of mm-hmm. more the bit. So if it wasn't the plot that grabbed you, was it the characters? You said you liked Castle on a Cloud. Did the did Cosette sort of resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, I, I just loved the idea of these oppressed people. Because when you're 13, you you're feel so oppressed. oppressed. You are. Um, I mean, you're not, but you feel. Well, it. I was. You know, I was pretty. You're pretty oppressed. I was. I had, you know, moved to a foreign land, and you mm-hmm. know, I was sort of unhappy, and okay. I had a really bad middle school experience. You know, where I was like totally ostracized, and so it was okay. a rough. You know, I don't want to be weepy about it but no, you know, it was but kind of a rough you had an experience it was a rough yeah. time i was very very lonely and so to, to to identify with um this young girl who was very very lonely and mm-hmm. having a rough time um was great and there was something about this i, I you know aside from the show this idea of getting this like acting bug from it was like this is a way theater is a way to live a different life Theater is a way to, or acting, I should say. Acting Mm -hmm. is a way of living in someone else's shoes. And acting is a way of removing yourself from the real world and into this place where you can work it out. You can work it out on a stage. Um, And there's a lot of anger in that show. Like, again, I can't tell you, you know, well, this happens because of, there's a lot of things that happen in in the book or, well, it doesn't really in the musical where you're kind of like, well, why would they, why do they, why are they in love? You know, why does he not recognize him? Yeah. Here? But he recognizes the him whole... here. And why is he so obsessed <laughs> with, with Valjean? And why you get, who is Lamarck? Like, why do I, like, what's, right. why are they, who are these, why does he care about Marius? I don't, why? You know, so there's a lot of that, but you can't deny the, the pure, emotional uh, display that happens mm-hmm. on that stage. There's like great love and there's, you know, longing and, and death. There is so much <laughs> and, longing. And evil. I mean, it's, you know, yes, it's there is. E- and like Tenardier is actually a really interesting character because he, and I was shocked by this. Young Liz was shocked. He has, he says God is dead. Yes, he does. He says God is he dead. He does. I mean, that is, really heavy that is yeah 
you know? In what might be my favorite song in the show. I think I, 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 I mean, I, I talked about how much I liked it in the in the last episode. At least I think I did. I might have cut it out. Mm. But, um, and if I did, I'll cut this part out. But uh, I, that song is just great. And it, it takes Tenardier from this sort of comic relief, yeah. simple bumbling thief kind of character mm-hmm. to a a man with a horribly bleak mm-hmm. worldview, but mm-hmm. who is true to that worldview. You, you yeah. understand why he doesn't care about Cosette, why he doesn't care about Eponine, why he re- probably doesn't care about anybody because this is the way the world has treated him and this is how he views the world. And yeah. that's it. Not be killed. These two characters—they're <laughs> the old. Because Tenardier is the only character. Tenardier and Cosette are the only two characters who make it from the beginning of the show to the end of the show without dying. That's oh, that's true. I didn't even think because of that. he's in. He and Cosette are in that that first section. Yep. And you know everybody one by one from that beginning peels off in yep. in varying ways and for varying reasons. Mm-hmm. And Tenardier, Madame Tenardier, and Cosette are the only three people left standing when the curtain comes down. Yeah, and so, even then Cosette is is chopped in half because she's she ages in such a way that you need another You need another actress. Actor. Yes. So, so yeah, so yeah. effectively in a way effectively. it is not a, yeah. He's the only actor he and Madame Turner right. are the only actors to make it. Dramaturgically. Dramaturgically speaking. Dramaturgically. Very good. Yes. Dramaturgically. But yeah, and that's and that song, I know you like it because it's got a lot of synthesizer in it. It does they have really, a... Oh, they, they really crash. Pump, oh, they, they do. They just pump up. They it's do. It's like, like Templeton. You know, you're just like down there with the rats. Oh, yeah. It's like you can feel the sewer. Yeah. You can feel it. Here's a hint of gold stuck into a tooth. Pardon me, monsieur, you won't be using this no more. Shouldn't be too hard to sell. Add it to the pile. Add it to the stock. Here among the sewer rats, a breath away from hell. You get accustomed to the smell. I mean, I feel like Les Mis is a great show for people. It's a great benchmark for people because we all go through this snooty. As Bob Dylan said, I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. <laughs> and I feel that's absolutely mm-hmm. true about me from like 16 to, I mean, let's say 23. I don't even know when it stopped being uns- insufferable. Um, because I mentioned this podcast to my mom, and she was like, my favorite musical is Les Mis. I know. Really? I know. And she was immediately apologetic for it. And I was like, no, no, oh, no, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah, That's I like, know. that's great. That's great. Don't don't be, you know. No, I do that all the time. Because yeah. Like, you know, what are the things that got you into theater? And it's sort of like, well, take a wild guess. Right. Les Mis. Sorry. Yeah. You know, and, you and it's sort of like, why? Don't apologize for that. Like, I really, I feel that there's no... Because it's, I think all, if you don't love, like at least, at least appreciate Les Mis, you don't have to love it. There's a lot wrong with it, sort of objectively from a, like a craft point of view. Mm-hmm. And it is very, very stylized and has a very like specific artistic aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it captured it, that musical and that musical alone captured you at 13. Mm-hmm. No other musical did that. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously something in there that gets 
to the heart of a lot of creative people. I feel and I feel like like Rent went through this at one point. Right. Like everybody loved Rent. Everybody loved Rent and then everybody hated Rent. And it's like right. no no no, it's not don't you, you know. I think they're just There's they're, room for both. And they're they're both I think Rent is a good a good sort of parallel to Les Mis where it's it's maybe not the most artistically excellent piece of work but it's that kind of didn't matter it was something about the time and place that it was made that spoke to people i don't know why if we knew the answer to this we'd probably be really rich you right. know like we don't know the answer to this these things happen yeah. on the other hand though i find an irony in me listening to the broadway recording and being like oh, well <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know, what did they do? Who made these decisions? Well, that is, you know, I mean, there's part part of that to me is that I think if you'd gotten the Broadway version when you were 13, then I would be you'd loyal be fine to that. with it. Yeah, because this yeah. is the version you listen to over and over again. The weirdest parts are the are the two cast members who went to Broadway yeah. from London and changed a lot yes. vocally. Oh my gosh, and, did they and ever. And I'm sort of like, was that their decision? Was that someone else's? Who, like, who, who was like, okay, Francis, now like sing it as crazy as you I possibly know. can. I mean, and she already has a very poppy voice. Yeah. But she's doing all the, you know, it's like, like if you listen to like Plume Attack is hilarious. And especially because they're not doing British accents anymore. Right. You've got the sort of like... I mean, her style of singing on the London recording is much more subdued yes. to me. She's still her voice. She has a very distinctive voice. And I mean, she was... And she was... I mean, she's an 80s sort of theater phenom. She was in Starlight Express and she was in Cats. And then she was in uh, Les Mis. This style of singing that she brought Absolutely. about. Which is... Not not a style you'd notice on the London recording, but it has a it stands out in the Broadway recording to me. That yeah, in the London recording, it's very much like okay, so this one's like Cosette needs to have sort of that like a soprano kind of like mm -hmm. operatic sound. Eponine has to have a very poppy, punched out sound, but it is it is kind of subdued, like you say. Whereas you have the same exact person on the Broadway recording. <laughs> like, you're just yeah. like, what? What is this? You're supposed yeah. to be quiet. You're like, there. That, that scene actually is weird to me because in the London recording, you can sort of hear them trying to like, the men, at, mm -hmm. when the men are all before Eponine shows up, trying to be quiet because mm -hmm. they're sneaking up. Right. In the Broadway, there's a little they're bit. They're pretty loud. But they're the just job. like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> Eponine, get on home. You're not needed in this. We're enough here without you. I know this house, I tell you. There's nothing here for you. Gee, I feel mad at the girl. They live ordinary lives. It's so out there. Yeah, you're not so wrong. I mean, it is, yeah, it's a pretty... But it is, hey. Everything's dialed up to 11 on the it. Broadway recording. People yeah. love it. But that is the production you saw. I mean, it should, in, in sort of yeah. a quick defense, I, I mean, I that's what that's, that's what grabbed true. your attention. That is true. Um, now, maybe there's a difference between seeing it live and 
a, record, a cast. Oh, well, there absolutely you know what is. I mean? Yeah, I mean, there absolutely is a difference between being swept up in the moment with the sets and the bits and all and yeah. the performances. And obviously, you didn't see the original cast, so everybody's doing things slightly differently. Right. So yes, and and a recording is also different because you're trying to get you know trying to convey it to the audience through. Yeah, the recording. it had already been going on for a while. Right before I saw it. So what about we've gone this whole time and we haven't talked about little people, Ugh. which is not in. The Broadway version Thank God. of the show. Well, there is. There's an abbreviated version of it uh, after he exposes Javert. Even even as a fangirl, I was yeah. like, this is terrible. They laugh at me, these fellas, just because I am small. They laugh at me because I'm not a hundred feet tall. I tell them there's a lot to learn down here on the ground. The world is big, but little people turn it around. I work in Rockstone, I beak a sting a bear, I fly can fly around with sykes, flies don't care, a sparrow in a hat can make a happy home, a fleet can bite the bottom of the boat in Rome. My cousin-in-law, Colleen Kelly, hello Colleen, mm-hmm. asked me, it was a long time ago, she went to see Les Mis on tour, I think, or maybe in New York, and said, what happened to little people? Because she had the London recording. Right. And she loves that song, and she said, what happened to little people? And I honestly had no idea what she was talking about. So she let, that was the first time I heard the London recording, because I just assumed they were the same. And then right. I listened to the London recording and went, oh my, there's this whole song here uh, that Gavroche sings kind of inexplicably, I'm going to say. It's between Look Down and Red and Black. Yeah, it's really not which is a, a weird good little, choice. Um, and it's a two and a half minute song. I mean, it's a real song. I'm not a big fan of kids on stage now as an adult. I, I'm not okay. a fan of child, child actors. Oh. Um, because Maestri so, puts child actors on blast. Well, they're, it's like what Sarah Rule brought this up, that you know they, they can never be anything but children. They can't. They're, they're always going to be who they are on a stage. Hmm. They can't play... They don't have the the maturity to play a character necessarily. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some some exceptions. Well, there's some that do, but they don't wind up as very well adjusted adults. Maybe it's the role that bothers me because for Gavroche, you mean it has no. There's no point to the role. There's just no. Well, he's there to die. I mean, he is a yet another. He's another character who is who is there to die. He felt more like a to me like a way in for little kids, that little kids in the audience can identify with the little boy. I wouldn't take my little kid to see. My son's but six. tons of little kids I know they do, it. but I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. I, I think 13 is the exact right age. I mean, they might be bored. Yeah, that, I, I mean, It's know. three hours long. I mean, it's like, that's rough for, that's rough for me. I'm frankly. just saying, that's what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. The song feels really shoehorned in. It does feel very out of place. And the song itself is just... It's just grating. It's not that good. It's grating. And little people know when little people fight. We might look easy pickings, but we got sand bites. So never kick a dog because he's just a pup. You better run for cover when the pup grows up. And we'll fight like 20 armies and we won't give up. I work with One thing that I really didn't like that they took out 
in the in the Broadway recording. The I saw him once as part of the yes um, in my life mm -hmm. um, medley. favorite parts of it so it's I, a i'm nice, kind of questioning why why it's gone it's a nice little moment for cosette cosette is a very very problematic character she has no agency um she has no she doesn't she disappears for big chunks of the show right and even though to a great extent the entire show revolves around her mm-hmm for her mother mm -hmm. and then Valjean and then Marius, like all these people are making decisions based on her welfare. She's not in it very much at all. And then isn't it better to give her a little bit? I agree. No, I'm, I'm saying yeah. I agree. I like oh, okay. what I don't like about it is I like what they replaced it with though. I wish you, maybe you could put them. I mean, the show's already three hours long, but yeah. what's another 10 minutes? Um, I like the duet she has with Valjean where he's the dear Cosette, you're such a lonely mm -hmm. child section, which is not in the London version. So it'd be okay. nice to me if you could put both of those things there together. Mm. But it's funny. Like, that is still, that's the soprano part in the show. That's the, like, you know. You got to give her something to do. You do. And it has sort of like a, she reminds me of um, Joanna from mm -hmm. Sweeney Todd a lot. Yeah. You know, where it's like, she's this, you know, Except. You know, blah blah blah, so, soprano. And then she she gets a little time to she, sing. But what Joanna gets, also at least Joanna in Sweeney Todd, gets something to do. I mean, she kills the the, <laughs> the, the head of the asylum, right? When her boyfriend can't, her boyfriend chickens out. And one of my favorite scenes in that show where he's like, "I cannot pull the trigger," and she just takes the gun and blows the guy away. <laughs> She's just like, I can, because even Eponine makes choices. Eponine makes. Eponine and, probably has the best role. Like she has, she has the. I feel like she has the most to do. The that's most a to song play. too. Not even Valjean has enough. I I feel like he's very much kind of like. Well, he he's goes, not that active. What's so funny is he goes through. He's the center of the show. Of he's course. the character we're following, and he's the one who is gonna uh, theoretically gonna go through the change. But he goes through his change at the top of Act One, mm -hmm. when the priest gives yep. him back. The candlesticks. He sings his soliloquy and is like, I'm going to be a good guy from now on. Mm -hmm. And he is. And he is. And from perfect. that point out, yeah. he is a good guy. Now, he has he faces a series of moral questions. But at, doesn't he? But he, but he, like, the most. He aces the, them all. Well, and the he? toughest one, he, again, is his next moral problem when someone else has been arrested in his name. That's his hardest moral quandary in the right. entire show. Because then the next problem is they run away. They go to Paris. He's like, oh, I've been found. I We have to flee. Mm -hmm. And then he finds out that Marius is in love with Cosette. And he's like, I got to go to the barricade and check this guy out, which doesn't yeah, make much why. sense to me. But whatever. And, and then, then he, he like saves his life. He saves Marius' life. And, and like, he gets really Marius back you, to Cosette. And okay. it's all. And yeah. then he reveals everything. Right. In that and letter that, he had time to write I, before he died. You know, I've been sort of criticizing the story. Like, if you will, mm. of Les Mis. And, and I was thinking about it 
that and that it's you know I'm someone who really loves experimental theater and I you know I love kind of downtown stuff and a lot of that doesn't have story you know it's right. it's totally about what what I fall in love with is um is tone and is like place and sort of the experience of it and why why is that why do I allow that but I criticize a musical a successful musical for doing the exact same thing. When I that get touch me because it, it because of the tone and the experience, the live experience of it. One of the things I teach my students when I teach my favorite class ever, which is my bad movies class, mm-hmm. is that that was really fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> the thing I ask them in the first day, like, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? And they or what's the mo- the most recent bad movie you've seen? And they all put their hands up. And somebody says something, and I say, what didn't you like about it? And invariably, one of the top three complaints is it had no plot. Really? And that, and then we work on all these over the two weeks of like, that isn't really what you mean. What you mean is the story didn't connect with you or you didn't like the story mm-hmm. because it had no plot isn't a criticism. There are a lot of fantastic plays, musicals, movies that have no plot whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, it's a recognized sort of critique. Now, most movies that don't have a plot like Clerks or Dazed and Confused have a something else that's moving the thing forward. It takes place over the course of one day, something like that. But Les Mis does not have much of a plot. What it has is characters, very, very strong characters, almost archetypal in yeah, their yeah. strength and in their point of view. And But it is deceptively, to me, complicated because mm-hmm. it has this very straightforward, I announce my name, I tell you who I am, my job, and what I do. My favorite one of those lines is, I run a business of repute, I am the mayor of this town. town. <laughs> and I have to imagine everybody on the stage knows that. I have to imagine that is information all those characters have. But so you have these characters who, who state their, you know, come out front, state their intention very cleanly. But then all of the characters in the musical face this series of moral questions that that really get to the core of who they are. I mean, and everybody has it. So yeah. Valjean's we talked about. Javert is constantly chasing Jean Valjean and, I mean, has the, the ultimate decision. He has to let him pass or kill or take him in when he's carrying Marius away. Mm-hmm. He chooses to let him go and then he kills himself because he can't live with that. Eponine is confronted with, like, squealing on her par- her dad or, yep. like, to spare Cosette, who's somebody she really doesn't care about, like, and probably mm-hmm. save Marius in the process. And then also, like, goes to the barricade to protect Marius and dies because of it. Like, there's this, all the characters, with the exception of Cosette, are constantly facing these moral tests. And they pass or they fail. And even if they pass, in the case of Javert, it still sometimes can break them. I mean, Tenardier is constantly making these decisions that we would, we would claim sure. are morally reprehensible. But they are his decisions. That's what Dog Eat Dog gives him is that agency to be like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not just screwing around here. I mean what I say. So that's why I say it's deceptively simple. It's all very basic. You know who all the people are and what they stand for. But the story pushes them and challenges them at a lot of different turns. You do have to see them make choices. Yeah. Which is what we want. Mm -hmm. We want to see in a character. Yeah. And see how they um, and react. And they're high stakes choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're does, all life and death. It does work in that way. But I think, just to go back to what you're saying about the the music, is that I think Les Mis can get away with a lot of that expository kind of language because it's sung. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not structured like a typical... I mean, it is a musical. It's not an opera. It is a musical, not but, an opera, yes. But it does... It follows... A, it, 
it doesn't have like a book and then you stop and you sing because you must sing. No, it has recitative instead of dialogue. It'll it'll it flows in mm-hmm. that way that that it makes sense that you would say, I am the mayor of this, you know, yeah. like Yeah. I mean, the audience needs that information. I just think it makes sense. Because it, yeah. the last time we saw Jean Valjean mere minutes ago, he was tearing up his ticket and he was in rags. And now he's stepping out and, like, breaking up a fight wearing this nice suit. We have to know he's a man of standing. Yeah. And somehow Javert is a policeman in his town, just by yeah, chance. I then they move to Paris and somehow, <laughs> by chance, Javert is a policeman in Paris at that point. Um, <laughs> and who breaks up a fight. With, I mean, it's just the... It's, there's a lot of coincidences. So many coincidences that predicate on this show. But whatever. Um, yeah, who cares? There's even more, actually. If you watch, I just watched a little video before you came of like clips from the West End production, ah. and the way it's staged, I didn't realize. I don't remember the last time I saw the show live. The way the original production was staged, Marius bumps into Cosette because Eponine runs away from him, and he kind of gives a like gives chase for a second huh. and bumps into Cosette. So if Eponine hadn't run away in whatever moment she did, oh my, he never would have seen Cosette. So he just like falls in love with whoever he bumps he's into her. At. Well, she is the soprano. I mean, let's. <laughs> it's such an '80s thing, too. I mean, it's just so like I was well, I was I was talking soprano. to somebody about well because but she is she's the romantic lead. She's yeah. the soprano. He's mm-hmm. the tenor. Like that's how that shakes out. Yeah. They um, I was talking to somebody about was watching some '80s movie where like this guy had a best friend, female best friend who was unbelievably like attractive and nice and sweet and loving to him, but he was in love with the next-door neighbor because she was a blonde and the friend was a brunette. And that was the only right. difference between them. But it's the 80s, so the blonde That's is the, the one we're chasing. And in Les Mis, we're falling for the soprano, not the mezzo or the alto. That is just not how that's yeah. going to shake out. Yeah. Now... She's not blonde, in the, so I guess the, the comparison stops there. <laughs> Though she is French, so I guess you know she'd have to dye her hair to be blonde, theoretically. Um and I do miss, I must confess, the original Broadway recording uh, as Cosette is the queen, Judy Kuhn, Long May She Reign. Yeah. Of, yeah, so mm-hmm. I miss her. What's your favorite song? Yeah, it's hard to say because so, so many of these are medleys, mm-hmm. like really lovely. Or little segment songs kind of strung together. Yeah, and you hear yeah. a lot of the same refrains over, yes. and, over and over yeah. again. Um, standalone, I feel like standalone songs are not Les Mis's strong suit. I feel like mm. it's for me at least. Mm-hmm. It's um there are of course the standalone songs are very memorable, but I feel like it's a, as a as a score, it's a lot stronger like because there's so moments. much repetition mm-hmm. and so much play on on orchestration and how you how you kind of rearrange those notes. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I would probably have to say stars. Out in the darkness, a fugitive running, fallen from grace, fallen from grace. God be my witness, I never shall yield till we come face to face, till we come face to face. You know, I, I love the imagery in that song. You know, you are the sentinels. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, I don't know. Silent and, and like sure. he's, a, he's, he's looking at the stars like what he wishes he could be. Yes. In a way, you know. Like well, and he, they abandon. He I wants mean, to be the sentinel. And it comes back again. 
when he kills himself yes. and he says the stars are black and cold. I mean, it's yeah. that like it's rough. He's a great character. He was Javert was who I wanted. To I play. don't understand why he's so obsessed with Jean Valjean. I really don't. But I I do love it. I do love him. I'm not going to argue with you. So I'm I I don't. I, it's never explained why he's so obsessed with Jean Valjean. At least on the musical. It may be in the book. I think that he's one of those characters that. Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men, the Coen Brothers movie, mm-hmm. like he's much more metaphorical oh, okay. than literal. He's the law. He he's is like death. Like if this were a realistic show, Javert would be a series of policemen who Jean Valjean runs away from. Mm-hmm. But that sort of that one man, yeah, he represents that unwavering legal, like the injustice of the law, yeah. and it all is encapsulated in one character. I take that much more as a character who just, he represents, well, he stands for something that the show needs to stand for. Yeah. But I also think it's, it raises the very interesting question of, is it any more insane that the law as a concept would handle Jean Valjean the way it does? Well, yeah, I mean, Then it's it's one guy. Like, it's just, it's, it's insane. So I guess Valjean could represent, you know, all of the, um, all of those who are imprisoned f- for doing very minor things or, yes. like, abused by the law mm-hmm. um, or even wrongfully imprisoned right. by, by an unwavering um, system. Like, and I don't know much about 19th century France, but, you know, I, I'm a... St- well, then get out. I know. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it's this sort of, like, oppressive government following mm-hmm. you wherever you go. And that, that that I do like, that is interesting, thinking of There's a lot of rich and poor stuff in this, too. I mean, there's a lot of that, lot like, of class, class stuff, yeah. whereas Jean Valjean is poor, his family was starving, he got five years for stealing the loaf of bread, but he got... He's a self-made man, though. 14 years for running from the law. Yeah. Like, that's insane. Yeah, there's there's a lot of... It's pretty, it's way harsh. Things are upside down. Like, there's a basic, mm-hmm. which is what Jean Valjean sort of represents to me is the basic human decency that because the stuff he does is not all that I mean except for turning himself in when he has the chance to escape the decisions he makes are pretty flat like yes I'm going to rescue this girl mm-hmm. from this horrible couple because like a decision I made inadvertently killed her mother like mm-hmm. I I had a chance to help somebody and I failed so I'm going to make that right and I'm going to take care of her for the rest of my life okay fine you know especially when he can't trust the system um so, you know, his his decisions, I think, are ones we all aspire to make. Yeah. So it's a pretty easy moral but that, line. But that is a really good point. That it, it is the more the system of morality in this world, even for someone like Jean Valjean, is very much tit for tat. Yes. It's like he doesn't really, although it, it appears that Valjean goes out of his way to sort of um, be the good guy. He doesn't really because he'll do good things in order to pay back good that was done. Mm-hmm. To him, yeah, or like he'll not kill you because you did something. If we well, said my life, he says things. The line, my life belongs to God. I know I made that that uh, yeah made that decision I long had, ago. I, but it's, I mean, in general, like didn't didn't um, when he decides to not kill Javert, yeah. something else. He doesn't. I don't remember. No, I think didn't he decides he, not to kill Javert because I thought he had done something to help him inadvertently before that. No. No, he, Javert is... Oh, it was the other way around. Yes. Javert is exposed Mm -hmm. by Gavroche for being a spy and arrested, and they're going to kill him. 
Okay. And when Jean Valjean saves Enjolras's life, mm-hmm. Enjolras says, like, is there anything I can do to repay the debt? And he's like, let me take care of that spy. Okay. And then he lets him go instead of killing him. So um, then, I, then I'm wrong. Yeah. He does and then his life to Javert decide. has to decide, like, does he owe you... I mean, the thing he's... That scene, which I don't know if it's on any of the recordings except for the complete symphonic recording, the three-disc mammoth recording of the whole show, um, they have a sweet scene together where Javert says... Once a thief, forever a thief. What you want, you always steal. You would trade your life for mine. Yes, Valjean, you want a deal. Shoot me now for all I care. If you let me go, beware. You'll still answer to Javert. You are wrong and always have been wrong. I'm a man no worse than any man. You are free and there are no conditions, no bargains or petitions. There's nothing. That I blame you for. You've done your duty, nothing more. That's not what attracts you when you're a kid to me. When you're a kid, I think like what, what I'm getting from you is that it was the mood and the, the theatrical magic of it that kind of captured you. But what brings me back as an adult is this really interesting moral morality play, mm-hmm. basically, and how this show takes these very archetypal black and white characters Mm -hmm. and then smashes them into each other kind of at high speed to be like, what happens when these two people clash? What happens when these two points of view clash? And that, that is something I love in, Mm. in that, that to me is really good writing. And that's writing that I really enjoy watching. I enjoy, and a lot of stuff I write follows this is I enjoy watching people with a very specific point of view, have that specific point of view tested and see how they respond. Sure. Yeah, so that's what, that's what I think, and that's what. So that's what I'm, I'm getting from like the lame is that why this didn't necessarily translate to other musicals for you is that it is very unique in that sense it in is. this combination of mood. But there's also this undertone to it. There's a lot of uh, different levels to it that, whether consciously or yeah. subconsciously, that fed something in you that it just that no other musical could feed. Yeah. And I again, I think the timing of it. I don't know that it would quite work the same way if it came out now you know it's Mm -hmm. i think the time whatever was going on around it was not it was so different from what les mis was offering Mm -hmm. um i mean it is very much not cats no very much not cats um not cats at all yeah but it is a cameron mcintosh joint just like cats is yeah but it is yeah. unlike any other. I mean, it is a watershed moment of a show in the same way that, if you said Rent was, in the same way that, like, that Hamilton that is. That Hamilton yeah. is, and I would argue Fun Home kind of is. Because mm-hmm. I would argue there's no Hamilton without Fun Home, personally. Well, this was great, Liz. Wonderful. Thank you very much for coming Thank on you, down. Thank you, Patrick. This was a lot of fun. It's nice talking Digging to into you. this show. So where, where can people find you on the, uh, on the internet, on the social media? On the social media, I am on Twitter, at Liz Maestri. L I Z M A E S T R I, um, and my TV webs- family. <laughs> my website is www.lizmastery.com. 
W, double W, full stop, Liz Maestri, full stop, C-O-M. It is .com, right? LizMaestri.com? Yes, okay. I'm a company. You are. Look at you. Here comes company. The original cast was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, Imani Mular, and the tireless staff of students who run the front desk. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. You can email us at OriginalCastPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to the original cast on iTunes, and while you're there, please give us a comment on a rating so other people can find the show. My thanks to Liz Maestri for coming down and talking to me today. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Ah!